pray for me, and because uh, I haven't preached, I haven't preached since I think February or March, so this is going to be really long. Um, <laughs> I have all this stuff built up. No, we're 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 going to try and do well. I've got I got something for you today. Hopefully, hopefully God has something for you, and let's get to it. Father God, uh, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. God, ask that you would uh, be with the message this morning that would be applicable to our lives and that we would each gain something uh, from it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I, I want to start off by telling you a story, and it's not a good story. In fact, it's, uh, if there's kids in the room, you know, just this is parental uh, guidance warning. Um, I want to tell you a story about a guy named Joseph uh, Manglia. How many of you know that name? Anybody know that name? All right. Um, he was a doctor of philosophy and medicine at Auschwitz um, during Nazi Germany, uh, during Nazi-controlled Germany. Uh, he was a doctor who was directly responsible for the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people, literally hundreds of thousands of people. And he, he personally killed thousands, like himself. And one of the things that he was doing during that time is he was doing experiments on twins. And he was doing experiments on children primarily and mothers. And um, there's a, a, a documentary uh, done on him. I, I came across it on the History Channel as I was reading up on, on him and really chilling stuff. I mean, just, I won't get into all of it, but I, I will share it with you this, because um, this was the thing that just made me go, oh, like, man, if you don't think there's evil, like real evil, well, you're really naive. Like, there is real, real evil out there. And if you don't think, like, this could ever happen again, or that something like this is not happening right now, then you just got to wake up from whatever comfortable place you're in, because this is really, this happened, and this happened less than a hundred years ago. So this wasn't, this isn't like a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away stuff. This is like right around the corner. I mean, people are still alive who lived through this. I read this quote, and it was from a, another doctor, another prisoner, a prison doctor, this is what they said about him, about uh, Joseph Manglia. He was capable of being so kind to the children, to have them become fond of him, to bring them sugar, to think of small details in their daily lives, and to do things we would genuinely admire. And then next to that, the crematoria smoke. And these children, tomorrow or in a half hour, he's going to send them there. Like, that's just... It's insane. On one occasion, Manglia personally killed 14 twins in one night via a chloroform injection to the heart. If one twin died of a disease, Manglia killed the other so that they could do a comparative post-mortem autopsy. His experiments, he experimented with eyes. He tried to change people's colors eyes. Or people that had two different color eyes, he tried to make them both the same. He did all kinds of experiments, killed lots of people. It was terrible. And he would do all this while pretending to be like children's friends. 
and would der- derive some kind of like pleasure from that. So how did that happen? Like how, how does a society get to the place where it can do that? How does a society get to a place where that is like a thing that's happening on a daily basis and no one stops it? Like how do you get there? And it's not the only time that's happened in history, and it's not the only time that's happened in that place. I mean, that, that kind of thing has been happening and has gone on in cultures and in lots of cultures, or something comparable. So how does that happen? Well, about at the beginning of the year, I started to kind of try to figure out why that would happen. Because I don't know if you've ever thought about that much. Because we see something terrible on the news or we see some kind of war or conflict or thing going on and we think it's sad, we don't like it, that's not good, I'm glad that's not happening here. And then we kind of move on from it. We don't really think about it much and we just go on with our lives. Because most of that stuff is really too depressing or sad to think about you know, for very long. In fact, this morning my wife was like, don't talk about that too much. Like that thing at the beginning, like let's get... <laughs> Because I, I was kind of practicing for, and I had her made the mistake of having her listen to my sermon uh, before, I, before I actually preach it. And she's like, yeah, don't stay on that too long, because that's really, ugh. So, but I think it's important because um, we, we do move past b- bad things, um, especially when they don't directly relate to us. We move past it pretty quickly. But how could that happen? So I kind of set out, try to figure out, why would this happen? You know, what would lead to that? What's the, what's What's the root? And I think, I think I've traced it back to, I'm, I'm sure it's many things, but I think I traced it back to something that's really, really important. And it has to do with telling the truth. Because when the truth is not told, or when the truth is not allowed to be told, or when you start censoring yourself about what the truth is, when you start correcting your own language to not tell the truth, I think that's really, really where it all begins and where it's really dangerous. Because while the Nazis were killing millions of people, uh, just to the east of them, uh, the Soviet Union was also killing tens of millions of their people through mostly starvation. And, and, that, and we don't really talk about that much at all. And, and really our, our history books in America don't really talk about that much. So, and that's not something you really learn in school. So how did that happen? I mean, it was less than 100 years ago and and I, th- I really think it's because people stopped telling themselves or stopped speaking the truth. I, c- I think the truth stopped being spoken. And lies and ideologies that were not based in Christ sprang up. And they just went with that. And they said, this is now, the I- this is what we want to do. This is the ideal. And the truth isn't really going to be allowed. So... And, and really, we can go back to the very first lie. This is, this is what I think the very first lie is from what I've seen in Scripture. Is when in Genesis chapter 2, God creates everything, right? He makes heavens and the earth. He, he, he's now created everything. And in Genesis chapter 2, it refers to him as the Lord God. The Lord God said. The Lord God spoke. The Lord God made. The Lord God. Now, the, the Lord, that's really important because God is like the omnipotent, the divine, 
the thing that you'll never like be able to figure out, attain, master. He's the mystery. He's the cosmic entity that's all-powerful. God. He's the creator of all. But Lord is like a personal, that's who I'm subordinate under. The Lord is like my, my boss, my master, the person that I take my life and place it under. And it's like a relationship that's personal, right? Because that's what the, that's what the Lord is. It's like, you know, you don't call anybody Lord in your life. You notice that? Like of all the, the monarch, the, of all the, like the things that we call people, like you don't see someone refer to somebody as Lord. That'd be very weird, you know, at a dinner table discussion and someone's like, so Lord Bowman, how, is, how are things? It's like, what are you talking about? That's just a really, but we, we're, but Jesus is Lord. God is Lord. And God. He's, he's, I submit to him and he's God. So the, the first thing when Satan comes to Eve and says, did God really say he drops the Lord? He just didn't say that part. I think that's really intentional. I think that's really important that that's in there, that we see that. Because the first thing that Satan, the first thing Satan speaks is a half-truth. It's almost it but it's not quite it. And then the lies just keep coming. And they build off of that thing, that he may be God, but he's not my God. And that's the rest of the human history, isn't it? It's just people wrestling with God being your God. So so why did I tell you all that? Okay, Because that's not even the message. Um, well, I really want to get a point uh, across the point that as Christians, we carry the truth. Like we carry a truth that the world really actually needs. And not just so that they'll have more comfortable lives and less like, you know, bad things happen to them. And not just, not just so that they'll go to heaven. Like not just because of that. Although... Spending eternity not in hell is probably a really good motivator <laughs> for wanting to know Jesus. But I think it's even more than that. I think we have a truth that the world really needs to hear because Auschwitz is what's at the end of when humans think that they're in charge. Like that's where it goes every single time. So today we're going to look at a passage in the Bible that I've never preached on. I've never taught on it before. And to be honest, um, I'm going to tell you why I've never taught on this. is because, one, I don't think I ever understood it. Like, I don't think I understood the story at all. I read it one way, and I was wrong in every way that I viewed this story. First, and I'll tell you the story, it's the Tower of Babel. So if you want to get there, it's Genesis chapter 11. If you want to get there real quick. Why talk about this? Um, and we don't—I don't think we have any slides or anything. Um, so you'll just have to believe me if you don't have a Bible. Of what I'm reading is what the Bible says. <laughs> but I didn't understand this story at all because, well, I didn't like it. First of all, I didn't like this story um, because it seemed to me like it was something placed in the Bible as like a campfire story you would make up to explain to your children who asked you, 
why do people speak different languages? It'd be like something you made up just to get them to stop bothering you about it. Like, Daddy, why, does, why do they talk in Spanish and why do they talk in Chinese? You're like, ah, oh, because a long time ago God came down and saw people were working on something and he split them all up and made them all different languages and that's how it happened. It just seems like a, I don't know, so let me create something. Let me create a story. Well, I was wrong about that. The other thing I was wrong about is that it really seems in the story that God is a villain. Because everyone's working together so well. And things are going so right. And they're trying to do something together. And then God's like, well, none of that. Let's just stop all that right, right away. Well, I was wrong about that. Very wrong about that. In fact, it's the exact opposite. And we'll get to why. But... So I kind of stayed away from the story, and I never taught on it before because I, I just I was actually wrestling with not only the validity of the story, but the um, the purpose and the intent of the story, what the message of the story actually was. I couldn't extrapolate out what it was really trying to communicate. I couldn't. So, and in, and another thing about that, if if you ever read a story in the Bible, and you like don't like it or disagree with it. See, like when a humanist or secularist or like atheist does that, and I think I was looking at it much more in a humanist point of view. When, when we do that and we disagree with something in the Bible, like when God says, love your enemies, and you just think, well, no, I don't want to do that. You're not right. And we often assume that we're right and that the Bible is wrong. This, this is the weirdest thing that I've noticed that I've done as a Christian. One of the weirdest. One of the weirdest. Is I'll read something and assume that God must be wrong and I must be right. Well, I'm not nearly skeptical enough. It's, the skeptic will question everything but his own skepticism, right? Like, they'll, they'll, they'll question everything until they come up against something that they'll go, well, I just believe that. Well, why do you believe that? So I think the proper way to read the Bible is to when you come across something that you don't understand and that you think is wrong and you disagree with God on, is to not assume that you're right, but to assume that you are dead wrong. And then to try and figure out why you're wrong. Who spends any time trying to figure out why they're wrong? Nobody. (laughs) We don't do that. We're not built that way. We don't think that way. But I think it's really important to, to do is to when you read something like this to go, well, why am I wrong? Even though I don't think I am. That's what I did with this passage, and I found out why. So I want to I tell you. All right, so uh, let's, let's read it together. Let's read the um, story, and then I'm going to try to piece it back together a little bit. Here we go. Uh, Romans chapter 11, starting, I mean, sorry, Genesis chapter 11. I don't know why I said Romans. Genesis chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, 
If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from all over the earth, from there over all the earth, and, then, and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Now, okay. So, before I unpack that, because that's kind of a weird story, before I unpack that, we're going to back up real quick in Genesis. And I'll look at Genesis chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Because right before this, in the the story structure of, of Genesis... The chapter before in 10 is like a, it's like a little genealogy lesson. It's like a little, okay, Noah had these kids, and these kids had these kids, and, those, and they live here, and that's where they're at. It's like when you go to visit your grandma, and she tells you all the people, like who they are and who they're related to. Or if you had a family reunion, there's always like that one aunt or somebody who knows everybody. You know what I'm talking about? Like they come up to you, and they're like, and that's Aunt Cindy, and she's on this side of the family, and she goes here, and they, and they do, you know, does anybody else have that person in their family? Okay. They just seem to know everything about everybody in the family, and they'll just come up and tell you, like, you didn't ask. They'll just start telling you about everybody's life. Like, I don't know. So that's what chapter 10 is. It's like your aunt telling you the lowdown on the family. And then chapter 9 is the covenant that God makes with Noah. And then there's this weird part at the end. So we're going to talk about the covenant weird parts. The covenant is, starting in verse 1, it says, Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the earth. So the thing that God tells Noah and his sons to do is go make babies and spread out. So skip ahead to, to 18. All right. Skip ahead to verse 18. Chapter 9, verse 18. The sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the whole earth. Noah, man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of his wine, he became drunk. So we know that it wasn't just some of his wine. (laughs) And lay uncovered in his tent. That means he was, or as Jeff Foxworthy said, naked. <laughs> right? It's not, not just naked, but naked. That means you're up to something, I guess. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in backward and covered the father's naked body. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father naked. When Noah awoke from his wine and found out, what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Cain and the lowest of slaves will, will he be to his brothers. All right. So let me talk about that real quick. So the first thing that God says is, you know, after the flood, make babies spread out. And then after this, after God says, basically, I'm not going to flood the earth anymore, I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to just destroy everything. And that's my promise to you. And then we get the rainbow promise. 
uh, right after that, uh, Noah gets drunk, falls asleep in his tent. He's naked. One of his sons sees him naked. And instead of, he kind of disrespects his father. That's, that, this, is the, this is kind of the point in this story. He kind of dishonors his father. He, he doesn't respect him as a father. He doesn't do what the other brothers do. Or like, we're not going to look. <laughs> Lay the blanket down. Okay? It's like a kind of a modesty issue, but it, it, it's something like this. And this is what happens. Is that it's, it's something like disrespecting your earthly father or dishonoring your earthly father leads to dishonoring God, which leads to chaos leads to everyone thinking really highly of themselves like people feel very good about themselves so this is only a couple gener- a few generations back from babel so babel's just a few generations after this event is who is then building this tower so a low view of the Father leads to a low view of God, which leads to a, an inflated and elevated view of yourself. And we see that all the time. I see this a lot in our culture. A lot. Because I see a lot of... Well, there's kind of a, a bias against dads in our culture. I, I really think there is. It's weird. But there's like a... There's like a negative view of fatherhood. I mean, just any, any TV show that has a dad in it is like he's the idiot of the family, right? He's like the, if, if, the, if the family has four children, he's the fifth child, right? He's like the, the, the man child who didn't grow up. And, and so there's this kind of view of masculinity that says, well, that, that's one of the, the ways that we see dads is just kind of the buffoon who eats the big piece of chicken and takes the long nap. And he, that's all he's really there for. And then there's the view of the father in culture where it's like, um, he's just the ogre or the tyrant that you know, is just mean to everybody and makes everybody feel a little bit smaller. And there's reason why culture feels that way is because there are men who are like that and there are fathers who are like that. And not only that, in our country now, I mean, if you just look at prison rates, it's crazy because everybody in, nearly everybody in prison doesn't have a father or didn't have a good father. And that's just the reality of the situation that not having a good father or not having a father around really messes you up. I mean, there's no debate about that anymore. That's just... That's, that's proven through science and through just common sense. So if you don't have a good dad, life's going to be a little harder. And it may be a lot harder. And so that leads to low view of fathers. And I, and I worked with teenagers for 10, 12 years as a youth pastor. And the common thing that I saw with young men was that if they didn't have a good father or a good father figure in their life, it was going to be really tough for them. Like just really harder in weird ways that, you know, can't really get into now, but it's just harder for them. So, and then that leads to kind of a low view of God. Well, if if my earthly father is this way, then I'm going to start viewing my heavenly father that way. And so if my earthly father was a tyrant, I start to think of God as kind of a tyrant. 
you know, and if dad was never there, I'm going to feel like God was never there. It kind of informs your feeling about God. And so then what happens in the Tower of Babel is that everybody thought, hey, instead of spreading out, let's all stay here. Instead of going and doing the thing that God said to do, let's not do that. Let's do the exact opposite. Which is like, don't you remember the flood? You would think they would remember that, right? Like just a few generations ago, God like decimated everything. And in a few generations, they're like, let's make a tower as a monument to our greatness so that we'll have a name in the land and so that we'll be divine. See, this is, this is what it is. Okay, so they said, come let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone. That's really important that that's in there. Why, why is that really important? Anybody? They made it. It wasn't the stuff that was already there. They said, that's not good enough. What God has given us, given us is not good enough. We're not going to use what he made. So, and there's like a joke where God and this really proud man are having like a, a creation off. They're going to, they're going to, they have a bet. The man comes to God and says, I bet I can make a better man than you out of dirt. You know, and God's like, all right, you're on. And so they go to make a man and God's like, get your own dirt. Like, you don't, you don't get it. It's like, even the, stone, even, the, even the stuff they made with bricks, God still made. And they were, they were so arrogant that they didn't even see that. And so they said, well, let's make, a, let's make a city. And cities back then, they had to be walled. We just started talking about, we just got done talking about Jericho. They had to be walled. Why? Because they had to protect you from whatever was laying outside of the city. Because whatever was outside the city was not good. It was dangerous. It was unknown. It was chaos out there. The wilderness. Inside the city, we know what's there. It's us. And they build a tower, okay? They build a tower. Let's build ourselves a tower. Okay, so the flood has happened, so they're probably wanting to get really high off the ground so the flood can't get them again. That's probably one of the reasons they wanted to build a tower. But I think a better reason that they wanted to build a tower is they wanted to have the perspective of God without God. Okay? Because if you get up high enough, you get to see more. Into, into Near East cultures at that time, there's a lot of gods, like Marduk, for example, had eyes all over him. He was one of the, the, the gods of uh, the Chaldeans. And so he had these eyes all over him, and he could see everything. And so you wanted to be able to see everything, because one of the things that God can see is everything, right? So they wanted to have the position of the divine without the divine. They wanted to be like God. Without God. And plus, they wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted to be known. So then, in verse 6, uh, the Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. And, and then he goes to, on to confuse their language and scatter them. And this is the part where I always thought, like, God's the villain here. Because, look, they're, they're doing well, and then he's, he, like, break it up, scatters them. What is that about? But then I thought about, 
If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. I only, I only th- thought of the nothing they will do will be impossible for them as good things that we could do. But God has seen all the bad. God has seen all the destructive. God has seen all the prideful. God has seen all the arrogant things that we're doing. Um, so, so God breaks it up. Now, Here's the, here's the thing about that. Is no matter how bad you think things can get, they can get so much worse. No, no matter how bad you think things can get, not only in your life or in people's lives or whatever, culture, it can get way worse. And I think the story at the beginning kind of highlights that. Like, you think what's on the line is that you might say something that isn't true or isn't good in your life. Like, you think what's on the line with you following Jesus and having God be the Lord of your life is just that your life is a little bit better and you don't go to hell. Like, that's not it. You having your life together Like, literally the whole world needs for you to have your life together. For real. Like, the whole world depends upon us getting our stuff together and following Jesus. That's it. Because what God stopped them from doing was great. I mean, it was very gracious of God to stop them from completing what they were completing because what they were doing was saying, look at how great we are. We don't need God. And this, I see this all the time in culture. All the time. It's in our laws. It's in the way, the way our government mostly governs now. It's funny because what our government does now, I can say this because I'm not the pastor, so if you have any emails, um, feel free to not email Josh. You can email me, it's fine. <laughs> what our government does now is they say every religion's the same. Well, if there's no God above the system, the system becomes the God. So if they just say, well, they're all the same, well, then you've just given preference to at least one, and that's your system, because you've deemed yourself as the purveyor of what religions are true and what aren't. And what's crazy is, like, no one knows that they're doing that. It's, it's, it's like this. It's like if Walmart had a special for, like, Monday was Christian Day, where you got a discount. And then Tuesday was Muslim Day. They got discounts. And then, you know, somehow every day of the week they were able to find every religion got a day and got a discount, right? Well, what's every day for Walmart? More money day right? It's, we're making money day. So what's the God of the system? Well, the God of, the, of that system is money, because that's what's running everything, okay? So what's the God of your system? Who's the Lord of your life? Is God just God, or is it true in your life? So God breaks the people up, and it's gracious that he does. Okay, so here, here's just some random thoughts about the end of the story. Um, 
We desire the perspective of heaven, but we reject the divine. Okay? We, we want the perspective of heaven, but we don't necessarily want heaven in our life. Here's what I mean by that. Have you ever asked God for the answer on something? Everybody, anybody ever do that? You ask God, like, give me the answer to this. What should I do about this? Okay? But then when you started to examine what was surrounding that, like, you haven't, inc- God is nowhere in that. Ever done that? I've done that. Like, daily I've done that. All right. So we probably shouldn't do that. We, we probably shouldn't just seek God as if, well, if I can just get the perspective of heaven. This is why I think like self-help, self-help books are like really popular is because if I can just get enough like knowledge, I don't need God. I don't need to be dependent upon God. Uh, we desire the comfortable and to go back to the walled garden. Okay, so here, here's... Here's how this, I think, breaks down on the individual level, and here's how I think this breaks down on the church level, okay? On the individual level, it starts with, we disrespect our fathers, even if they haven't been, and this is another thing about that. You may not have had an honorable father, but it's still important to honor your father, okay? Um, this is coming from somebody who had I, had, to, I had to excommunicate my father from my church. I did. I had to kick him out because he was a violent, angry person and was threatening people. And at the time, I was associate pastor of a church, and I actually had to have him removed. And we're okay now. It was hard. Went through a lot with it. But we worked it out. And I was still able to honor him. And he was kind of like oddly proud of me for doing that. It's like, yeah, I was wrong. Okay. So... It starts with disrespecting your father, dishonoring your father. It leads to disobeying the father, the heavenly father, which then leads to desiring the perspective of heaven without God. Then on the church level, I think it, it goes to this. This is what I think the Tower of Babel means for us, is that if, if, we, if we do church that way, we become an isolated church. We become a safe church. And then we become like an Ichabod church, where basically it's like just getting together, but there's no like presence of God and there's no glory of heaven in the midst of us. And that's like really dangerous. And Jesus actually gives a warning in Matthew. He's in the middle of all his woes to the Pharisees. It's one of my favorite parts of the Bible, because he's basically just cursing out the Pharisees, like in Christian cuss words. Yeah. He's like, you hypocrites, you brood of vipers, you unwashed, you know, you uncircumcised, like you, you don't even get it. It's like Christian cussing them out. But there's this part that's always haunted me ever since I read the verse. It's, it's that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who produce the fruit of it. Well, what, what a... Who like you don't control God at all. And you can meet together and you can just have like you can just be in a room and you can be singing songs and and you can think that you're in church. And it's like, well, no, you're you're not where you thought you were. You you're actually just in a room and God's not there. And that's what we should desire is for God to be in the presence or for us to be in the presence of God in everything that we do. 
And so for, on, on the individual level, it means God actually being the Lord of your life. And on the church level, it means don't become so walled off and so into our own selves that we think we've got it all figured out and that we don't need God. There are a lot of churches that I've seen, especially in our country, that really don't need God. They, they got a lot of money. They've got a lot of stuff. They got a lot of property. And they got a lot of lights and effects and really good, talented people up front. And if you have enough of all those things, you don't really need God to, to have something that looks really good. I, re- I believe that. But if you want like life-transforming stuff that you can't explain, and if you want something that goes beyond just entertaining you for an hour and a half or whatever the time is, like you, you need God. Because everything else is not only just temporary, it just lacks, well, it lacks the transcendent. Um, Here's what David uh, Chitlin said. He said, Our Lord never called his people to build the Tower of Babel in the hope of getting a Bible study in the basement. He commanded us to build our own city on a hill. So, what God ends up doing with this story is he says, Don't be walled, safe, and self sufficient. Be open, dangerous, and dependent upon me. Like, get out there. So I was literally just talking this morning with someone, and, and, I, and I, I'll close with this. Um, I'm really comfortable about, around people who aren't Christians. It's you all who make me nervous. <laughs> no. No, I, I, I'm really comfortable around people who don't know Christ. When I go into a bar... And I sit at the bar and I talk with somebody. God comes up every single time. Jesus comes up every single time. I don't even have to try. Like, I just go there going, okay, God, who do you got for me to talk to today? And it will happen every single time. And when I walk into that scenario, I just feel the armor of God. I just feel God's power. I feel like you're, you're talking to who you need to talk to. Because I get people who are far from God. I understand it. And I was talking to someone this morning. They're like, ah, I'm not comfortable with that. It's like, well, get over that. Get over that because there are people that need to hear the truth that you have. And what good is it to come here and sing songs about it, and then to go to the rest of the week and tell nobody about Christ. What good is it? What, because your life got a little bit better? Well, whoop-de-crap. Like, who, no, you know, like, you're not, you're not the point of the story. You know, you're not the point of this whole thing. Not a, not in a, you know, a little bit. You know, you're, I'm not the point of this. Like, God has this redemptive thing going on, this grace that I have to tell you, I don't even get. Like, I don't get it. Because that guy at the beginning of the story, if he on his deathbed were to say to Jesus, I forgive me, 
God would welcome him into heaven. And I would be wondering, why is that guy here? I, I would be in heaven like we would like be picketing, like have a petition to get this guy removed. You know? Like, because I don't think he deserves it. I know he doesn't. And if I just had that same sense for myself, well, then you can go into an environment where God is not present and you can know and have confidence that he's with you. Because here's what Jesus did. It took someone to go to hell to bring us to heaven. Okay? So if I've been to hell with Christ, I should be bringing heaven with me. In every area of my life, in every area of the people's lives around me, and this is, and this is what it is. When you start telling yourself the truth about who you are, in Christ, and you start telling yourself the truth and telling the truth to others, your life gets better, everybody's life gets better around you. You have no idea what's riding on your ability to tell yourself the truth and to live the truth every day. There's so much riding on it. Like the whole world depends upon you getting your life together and telling the truth. I've seen many safe walled churches that were self-sufficient. And um, I'm tired of them. I, I wish God would just cast them all out. I do. And I'm tired of that in myself, of any of that in me. I just want God to just get rid of that. Just throw that into the fire and get rid of it. Because I, I don't want any part of it anymore. So... When I, um, when I quit being a pastor, I really thought, well, that's it for me. That's it. And then God was like, no, your ministry's just starting. And I'm like, what? Why? What? No, your ministry is to people who would never come in here into this building because like, you scare them. And we scare them, or they're just like, they don't feel that they can do it, or they don't feel like they're worthy, or they don't want it that badly. Like, that's who I feel like I'm called to go after. And I hope you come back tonight and hear more about going after people for Christ.